Here's how we're going to start out here Friday night. thinking about you know humility is one of those things like I've said before about ego death which you think is that those things are kind of similar humility and, and ego death we're starting out real this is just going to be a good uh, pretentious intro what we call a pretentious intro I think all by their very nature by the very nature any kind of intro is, is uh, pretentious 
literally pretentious. But uh, anyway, that was that wasn't what I was good getting on. But like humility and ego death, you know, are kind of similar. Like I've said before about ego death, like this: the second you acknowledge that you've experienced an ego death, your ego comes back and possibly bigger than before. Because I mean, what's more egotistical than thinking that you had an ego death and acknowledging it? But uh, humility is kind of the same way. Where like the second you say to yourself, "I'm humble," suddenly that's not very humble. And we do that constantly. I mean, this is just this is our imperfect nature, where we just we're constantly acknowledging the thing we shouldn't acknowledge and and sort of bursting our own bubble in that way. But the thing is, it's very hard n not to do something nice and then want acknowledgement for it in return, you know? That's what a lot of people are looking for. Like, as much as people see each other as, like, mean and, like, argumentative and trying to one-up each other, a lot of... There's a lot of people out there who, like, they want to do nice things for people and then they want acknowledgement of it. I mean, it's, you look at philanthropy where, I mean, I don't know, you know, there are, there are philanthropists you've never heard of, but there are plenty of people who want the accolades and awards and the attention and that kind of thing. And it's one of those things where that doesn't make what they're doing not good. Like for the person who's benefiting from a philanthropist or even just, I mean, you're a philanthropist when you give a hobo a dollar. You're a philanthropist when you give a hobo a dollar. Um, so, uh, just one sec, gotta pause this. Anyway, I had to check on Batty, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, like you're a philanthropist when you give a hobo, a, you're a philanthropist when you give a hobo a dollar. That's That's what I was talking about. And when you think about it, the poor giving the poor, or, or rather the, the poor giving to the poor, that kind of seems like the ultimate philanthropy. And uh, like someone who doesn't have much giving some of that to someone who, who has less, you know, that's like, it's like two guys who are starving to death, get a loaf of bread, and that's all the guy has, but, he, you know, breaking it in half. Or even just giving him a piece, like even just giving the other guy, a, you know, even if he wants to keep most of the loaf of bread to himself, <laughs> even just giving that guy like a little piece of it is someone who doesn't have much giving a little to somebody. And that kind of seems like the ultimate philanthropy where it's, it's like it's not somebody who has, you know, excesses of money or resources giving it away, which on a quantitative level is going to help more people. Um... But uh, the weird thing about that, though, is people really, I've noticed this for a while, people really resent a lot of wealth. Like, I don't know, I'm trying to word this right. Um, people really resent wealthy philanthropists. I guess that doesn't really, I don't know, it doesn't really describe exactly what I'm trying to say. But I mean, you see it with, the, with Elon. You see it with Elon. Where the, the Tesla guy, the Tesla. And uh, 
you see it with him though where like apparently he's paid more in taxes I, you know I, you can you can fact check me i don't know this is what i heard but apparently like he's paid more money in taxes than anybody in history but because it's a very small percentage of his actual earnings of his actual you know wealth people hate him for that and that's a guy i don't give a shit about that guy like i think it's cool he kind of rocks the boat like i'm not against him at all when i say see the thing is you sound so harsh when you say i don't give a shit like it sounds so like, like i hate him I, I i don't feel anything like i like that he kind of like in a very I mean, the way that he rocks the boat is is very, like, middle of the road. It's another one of those examples, you know, and he's he's connected to, like, Joe Rogan. He's connected to Joe Rogan. And, like, those are two guys who are very middle of the road, and, and it just, it's absurd that they're even considered controversial at all. And so I like that, like, those guys like that, like Elon and Joe Rogan, I like that they're not just going along with this stupid program. Like they do a little bit, but I like that they're just very like one guy's, you know, the most, you know, successful entrepreneur, you know, in my lifetime, obviously the guy's wealth and, and just what he's doing speaks for itself. And then like the other guys, you know, one of the most listened to people in the world, or at least in the, the Western world. And I'm glad that there are guys like that who in their own little way just are like, hey, you know what? Like, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't trust what's going on. I don't like what's going on while also offering, because I mean, that's the thing though, like why guys like that are good public figures is because they also show you like what you can do. Like, like they're not just critics. Like they're not, they're not just like, oh, I, I, I don't like what's going on in the culture right now politically and socially i don't like what they're trying to I, I, you know I, I just don't like the road they're trying to force us down is basically what those guys are saying but they're not just critics they they offer a counter example or like a uh what do you call it like they're living by example which is the thing that's missing from a lot of negativity like it's what's missing from a lot of critics is that you have to kind of set a counter example to the thing that you're criticizing or a uh it's just live by example you know it's that idea where like joe rogan shows what it's like to like you know work out like be an athletic middle-aged man at this point you know he talks about whatever the fuck he's into most of which i'm not interested in because that's the thing like you don't have to relate to somebody you don't have to like everything that someone talks about or everything they are to just appreciate kind of like the position they have in society like it's good that guys like that exist and they you know they just they show you what it's like to be successful and do it your own way in ways that most people couldn't even have imagined 10 years ago and then they're also not willing to go along with this really nasty but silly little program that you know has been running the last few years but anyway, that's just my thoughts on those guys. But with Elon, I was, what got me going on that was Elon. What a long, what a long, like, I told you it was going to be pretentious. I told you this one was going to be pretentious. But uh, what a long, convoluted way of just saying, hey, those guys are all right. <laughs> 
what a long and convoluted way of saying that. But philanthropy, that, that, that was what I was talking about here. Where a guy like Elon has allegedly paid more in taxes quantitatively than anybody in history. But because it's not a, a big percentage, because it's not a significant percentage of his uh, actual wealth and earnings and all that, people are upset. And what got me going on that was that people tend to resent wealthy philanthropists. It's like, oh, you could always do more. Are you worth $6 billion? Well, uh, or, excuse me. You're worth $6 billion? Dillion? You should be given like three billion billion to charity. Like, how could you? You don't need six. You could live off three billion billion. Like, people will say that to a guy who's already given more money and probably does all kinds of things we don't know about. Which is an interesting side of this, which like, if you don't know about somebody's philanthropy... You might assume it's not happening. And part of that is because it has become such a display. Because it, is, it, it has become so ceremonial, the way that we acknowledge charity and you know, philanthropy, that uh, it's almost like they have to, somebody has to let you know that somebody did something or else you're just going to assume they're heartless and self-centered. Like if you don't hear about a billion billionaire giving away a bunch of money or you know donating to certain causes or helping start these programs, whatever it is they do, if you don't hear about that, you're just going to assume it's it's not there. When the reality is people are constantly working behind the scenes. They want no credit. Sometimes they don't even get public credit. But there's a lot more philanthropy going on than people even realize. Uh, it, it's like Donald Rumsfeld, not to be confused with Donald Trumpsfeld. Uh, it's like you know, his famous quote about like known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. And private philanthropy sort of exists in that territory. It's like a tree falls in the forest sort of idea, where it's like if somebody does some ch great charitable act for somebody and there's not some sort of like public acknowledgement or celebration of it. It's like, you don't hear it. You know, it's like, Oh, I don't know that the tree fell cause I didn't hear it, but it's like, you have no idea what's going on. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting to me though, that like human brains, you know, are so, so weird. I mean, what else, what other word do I have? But like human brains are so weird for one, because it's like, we see like people paying insane taxes on things, more money than you can possibly ever imagine. They wouldn't have existed if that person didn't have it in the first place, if they didn't accumulate it somehow in the first place. I mean, it would exist, but it wouldn't be all in one place ready to be taxed. But, uh, like we look at that and are like, oh, that's that's more money than I can possibly ever imagine that that person pays in taxes. And uh, then we go, but percentage wise, but percentage wise, it's not enough. You know, it's like percentage wise, it's not enough. Ridiculous.
Like, like we'll find it's a, <laughs> like we'll find another way to resent what that person's doing. Because you know what that is? It's like years ago, I remember the story went around about like these teenage girls who like their dad bought them the wrong color iPhone and the girls like broke it or like, you know, there's these, these horror stories of like girls thinking they'd been horribly tort, you know, just these girls who were just acting like tormented publicly on the internet over like getting the wrong iPhone color. And it's easy to mock that, but like, you know, that's just what they know. Like if you're the kind of girl who's going to like flip out that your dad bought you the wrong, like brand new thousand dollar iPhone. However, I don't know how expensive they are. I've never used one. Thousand dollars for a phone sounds like a lot. I don't know. I don't know what the price is, but, uh, you know, if, if you're the type of girl who's going to have a meltdown over that, like that's just cause that's what you know. Or that's what's worked for you or something. And it's and, and those girls are a good test. Like it's, not, it's anybody doing this in any way, but just think of these iPhone girls. Like they're a good test. Because when you see somebody do that publicly, like I don't know when this was. It was probably five or six years ago or something, maybe more even. But uh like the, these like it, like it went viral. Like like it was some girl melting down over her iPhone color or something. I think there were a few stories like that that went around. But like when you see that, like it's a, it's a test because you're like, I want to hate this person. What a brat. What a brat. What a spoiled little brat. You know, that's how people react to that. And like you feel like this deep animosity for this girl who's really just doing what she knows. Not that she should keep doing that. I mean, you know, being shamed a little bit, maybe not virally shamed, virally shamed. That's, that's Maybe that'll be the name of the episode. Not being virally shamed, that's horrible. It's like, that really is like people throwing fruit at uh, like a, a man in a pillory, you know? That's, that's what this online thing is. I mean, I think people probably know this. I don't, I don't really hear people make this comparison much, but it's like when somebody gets lambasted on social media, when, when the public is just throwing it at them, they're the, they somehow did something, they're the topic of the day. And now they just have people being nasty. That's, that's, you know, people would wonder like, oh, when someone was like in a pillory in the Middle Ages and like the villagers came and like threw rotten fruit at them, that was crazy. Those are such primitive people. Like those, the, oh, those people are, uh, you know, they, they were uh, the unwashed masses. We would never do that today. And then it's like, we get this digital world where we can do that. And as I, I've said this before, but like years ago, like back in the day, people used to say like, oh, the only reason you're, you're such a, a jerk on the internet, not to me, but you'd see this all the time. I mean, I was a jerk, but nobody ever said this to me. But, you know, back like in like the late 90s, like early 2000s, like you'd hear people say on the internet, like, well, the only reason people talk tough on the internet is because they're hiding behind a screen name. The only reason you're so mean on the internet is because you're hiding behind a screen name. You know, people would say things like that a lot. It was a common sentiment. And that got proved completely wrong. I mean, yeah, there's still people using anonymity to say things they otherwise wouldn't under their own name. Like, people still do that a lot. But 
that whole like you you're people are only nasty on the internet because they're hiding behind a screen name thing that was proven just completely false by the mid 2010s because by then like social media was just firmly entrenched the climate was getting you know pettier and just more mean-spirited around 2015 i remember like knowing we were heading in a weird direction probably bad and uh by that time though we saw that oh people under their own names even to their family and friends on like social media will be really nasty to each other on the internet under their own names with their own picture there they will like comment on like the news comment section of an article and fight with somebody under their own name and then we, we've seen what happens with like social media fights and stuff like the things people say and, and you know do to each other this is under their own name with their own little picture on there it's a it's a little digital version of them and we saw that people can't seem to resist and it doesn't matter if they're anonymous or not like you know people are it turns out mean and that's because i don't know it's 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 like it, it bothers me when people say the internet is like the source of these problems you know people say that social media is the source of these problems it's made them worse but like i see all of these things like as something we do no matter what our technology is which is why i'm saying like when somebody like is the bad person of the day on twitter or something and that day everybody gets on like that person posts something on twitter and five thousand people say really mean things to them just pure emotion, just pure reaction. Like I remember seeing this like a couple years ago with uh, that actor Chris Pratt, who I don't even like. I don't even like. I don't have a problem with him. It's funny, like that goes back to what I was saying earlier about like I don't give a shit about. Because like when you say you don't like somebody, you you sound like you're saying you like you dislike them. But like what I meant was just like, I don't like him, but I don't dislike him. But it's just funny how that we, we automatically think, oh, you don't like him. So that means you hate him. No, I just, I, it's indifference, you know, I just, I, I had no feeling whatsoever about this Chris Pratt guy. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything he's in. And uh, it, it came out though, like, like, cause people are these weird little sneaks these days like someone had scoured his social media follower or he they had like they had like gone on a deep dive to see who he follows on social media and it was all like right wing it was all like Tucker Carlson like Ben Shapiro it was just you know just like the usual pundits like not even anything interesting like not even any weird right wing counterculture people or anything like that like nothing even remotely interesting it was just like who you would expect and people were like, oh, he's a Republican. He's a Trump's felt support. Oh, my God. I loved Chris Pratt, but I found out he's a Trump's felt support. You know, it's just fucking ridiculous. You know, like somebody just like scoured his list. And then he was the guy to hate for the day. You know, he was he was the guy to hate. And I just remember like observing it or like I, I read, you know, it's a rarity on this show, but. A while back, I also, I read the comment section 
to like to an article or something about uh, when Eric Clapton said he was anti-vac or something. He's, Eric Clapton like went against the grain in some just by saying he didn't want to get vacked. I don't, I don't even know what he said, but like people melted down over it. Like, like once again, this emotion and reaction. And I read the comment section on here one night, something I don't, I don't go to like social media or articles and read comment sections on here, but sometimes I actually really enjoyed doing it. Uh, but, uh, when Eric Clapton, uh, whatever, I, I wish I could remember what it was. I think it was just an anti-vac thing. Cause that's the thing, like these guys who people react to and are mad at are almost always very middle of the road guys. Like Eric Clapton isn't an extremist. Like Elon Musk isn't an extremist, like not even close. Like I don't even want to say the word extremist in the same sentence with them. They're so far from that. They're seriously some of the most just lukewarm people in terms of just like where they sit you know, I don't know just where they sit with our culture like right now. But, uh, this is my train of thought it's all over the place. Um, totally blanked. Maybe it's good. Maybe I needed a, a, a mental reset, but, uh, what was it? I feel like I was on a thought that I wanted to, wanted to finish that thought. Oh, well. Well, returning to the idea of humility, man, that was just like, I, I felt like I was just going full steam into my next thought, and then like one little thing distracted me, and I lost it all. I guess I, I was talking about like social media, I think I, I consider this an intermission. Oh, it was Eric Clapton, that's right. Just, uh, <laughs> just that, like when he came out as anti-vac and I was just, I was saying like all these guys who end up in these forced controversies aren't controversial people. They're really not controversial people. Their approach, like even if you disagree with them, their approach to the topic isn't controversial. And I refuse to call somebody controversial if they're not truly doing something controversial. These are manufactured controversies. And they actually target the more moderate people more in that way. Like all those guys, like their actual beliefs, like when you think about Eric frickin' Clapton, Joe Rogan, Elon Musk, Chris Pratt, like these are really just like everyman, you know, they're, they're really just like, uh, not everyman, but they're, they're like, uh, I don't know, just kind of middle of the road. Like anybody could listen to or pay attention to those people and understand what they're doing. Like any human being, like those guys are popular for a reason. And some popular things are good. You know, we, we get this idea that because something's popular, it's not good. But it's like those guys are popular because what they're doing is ultimately good. And when people see like, these manufactured controversies get created around them. A lot of people go like, that doesn't make any sense. Like I think about this guy I worked with who was a huge Joe Rogan fan. And uh, we never really talked about it, but I knew he was a huge fan. Like he'd, if there was like an author on there, like he'd buy the book 
and read and you'd see him reading it on his break or whatever really good guy i really liked the guy uh but i just knew he was a big fan of that but like very like liberal dude you know he was a very liberal guy and i wonder what goes on in a guy like that's brain when like he spent so much time you know seeing that somebody's a pretty middle of the road dude like pretty uh easy access for just about anyone is how i'd put it but then how does how does this coworker i have like how does a guy like that react when he sees these controversies built around a person like there were eric clapton fans who when it came out he was anti-vac like i read the comments on here because they were so funny like there was somebody who said i wish i could have all the money i ever spent on eric clapton tickets and I donated to vaccine research. There was a comment that said something like that. A real person. A real person said that. I wish I could have all the money back that I spent on Eric Clapton tickets. And I donated to... Changing accents. And I donated to vaccine research. Crazy. And you know what's funny about that comment? I've thought, you know, I've thought about this comment. I bet that person thought when they said it, like, this is clever. This is clever. This piece of rotten fruit will really get him. I've given you tons of money for Eric Clapton tickets. I bet they're expensive. I bet this person spent a lot of money on Eric Clapton tickets over the years. Cause it doesn't sound like just one concert. I wish I could have the, the money back from the one Eric Clapton concert I went to. And I donate it to vaccine research. But uh, yeah, I bet this person spent a lot of money, but it's just funny like that. So this was someone who was like a big enough fan to spend a lot of money on Eric Clapton tickets over the years. And then to turn around and be like, oh, he doesn't believe in the vac. Well, I've got this piece of rotten fruit right here ready for him. Because that's the thing about all this. People have their rotten fruit at the ready. Like when you see somebody in public just snap, like somebody cuts in front of somebody in line. I mean, you know, that's, that's pretty offensive. I don't like cutting. Well, you shouldn't get too mad about it. Yeah, I don't like it. I can understand getting mad about it. But let's say like somebody, you just see this like hair trigger temper on people and they have ammunition at the ready. Like, I mean, I think driving is probably the best example where it's like somebody can do such a small thing in a car to upset another person. And that person is, very well might just be ready. They might just be ready to get all of their anger out at that person who did that small thing. They're going to tailgate them. They're going to gesture. They're going to give them the finger. They might yell things. Like that's That didn't just come out of nowhere in that moment. That person is ready. Like somebody who's that ready to get that mad. I mean, cars are a little weird because something about them. I mean, I think the danger. I mean, I think one of the reasons why people are so unhinged in their cars is because we know it's really dangerous and we don't treat it 
dangerously enough. I, I went on a rant, one of the recent episodes about cars, as I do. I drive. I love driving. I'm not anti-car. But I think we need some draconian traffic laws. We don't do nearly enough to, you know, make driving safe. I mean, it's insane. Like, I, I, I always bring this up when the gun argument comes up because I'm like, if it was one person, like, killing 50 people in their car, which things like that would probably happen, but if it's like one person killing 50 people in their car, maybe we'd be like, we'd treat it like a, like a mass shooting or something, but it's like the sheer number of traffic deaths because of negligence and the fact that like our, our traffic laws, the, the punishments aren't nearly strict enough. You know, because of that though, like, like we're kind of dismissive of the horrible toll that, you know, traffic deaths have on us. You know I mean? <laughs> I'm losing my words here, but uh, I think we gloss over like how horrible that is and how unnecessary it is. Yeah, there are gonna be situations where like somebody's vehicle malfunctions they have a heart attack and they can't stop from having an accident. And there's going to be some accidents anyway. Like, we just know that. But it's like, it amazes me that punishments for reckless driving and, like, speeding. Like, if you're going 100 miles an hour in, like, you know, a 60-mile-an-hour lane, you should go to jail for the night. You just throw you in jail for the night. Don't even need to have, don't even need to press charges, just a fine and like, yeah, I mean, I don't know about, a, I mean, a hundred, yeah, I would say starting at a hundred, yeah. Because like I've gone 90 down the freeway, I've never gone faster than that. But, uh, you know, the thing about driving fast, like there is something fun about it. And of course, like it's more dangerous that way. And it, I don't think it's a coincidence, like based on what I'm saying that, People tend to have the most road rage on highways. You're driving really fast. You're like shifting lanes. You have to, your reaction time has to be far greater. And if you look at someone's eyes while they're driving, like if you look over, like you, you got to let them know you're doing it. Otherwise it's weird. But if you look at somebody driving a car, especially on a highway, and you actually watch their eyes, they're like, they're darting all over the fucking place like rapidly and they don't know they're doing it like i don't know i'm doing that when i'm driving it's just what your body does because you're having to pay attention to so many things so fast but if you actually watch somebody's eye while they're driving it is going to be like darting around and, and just automatically and what do you think that does to us psychologically why else would you be darting that way? Because it's fucking dangerous and it's crazy. And you have to be, your response time has to just be perfect. You can't afford to do one thing. You can't afford to fuck up once if you're driving that fast. And uh, that's why people get so emotional though. That's why, I mean, I don't know what the statistics are on here, but... Uh, from my own anecdotal, my own lived experience, most of the road rage that I've seen and most of the road rage that I've felt came on the highway. So the danger really brings that out of us, I think. But then ego comes into it too. Like a lot of road, road rage is very egotistical. You know, it's, 
uh, you hear Batty making noises out the window, but, uh, you know, it's very ego, it's very, like, it's pride, it's like, it's not just that, like, oh, that person cut me off, and that was kind of dangerous, because I could have hit him, that makes me mad, because I could have been hurt, or killed, or something, that's part of it, but then pride is what takes it to the next level, where you're tailgating, you're like, you got one over on me, now I'm gonna get you, it's like, uh, it's like that game people play with a baseball bat where they hold it upside down and like each person like puts a hand over the other hand and then I guess the person, I don't remember if it's like the person who gets to the top wins. I don't remember what that is. Yeah, I think it's the person who gets to the top wins maybe. It's been a long time since I played that game. It'd be weird if I had recently. But uh, it's kind of like that where it's like road rage. It's like you want your hand to be over their hand. You want to be, it's, it's having the last word. That's really hard for people. It's really hard. I, speaking from my own personal experience, it's really hard to not want to have the last word. And uh, in driving, that comes in the form of like, oh, he cut me off. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go around him and cut him off. And then the game is on. Like I saw this road rage incident. I might've mentioned it on here a few weeks ago. This car was just tailgating this truck so closely, just insanely close. I couldn't believe it. Like, I mean, really this guy was like an inch away from hitting him and the guy's in a truck. So it's like, you're just going to run into his tires pretty much, you know, like, <laughs> uh, but, uh, cause it was just a little like sports car or something, but like, what are you doing tailgating him? If he stops, like, you're the one who's going to be screwed. But uh, it's, it's a kamikaze mission, though. These people are, are putting their own life at risk, their own well-being at risk, to try to get somebody. And uh, what was I going to say about that? I'm just, I'm losing, I, I have such a headache. I didn't get much sleep. It's my excuse. I'm just, uh, I'm brain dead. Uh, this guy, he, he was tailgating this guy, and then he uh, got around him. Like, he, he finally, like, went, he didn't go around him. He, like, got into the next lane, and I was like, okay, he's going to pass him now. He's going to do that thing they do where they tailgate. It's, it's funny how common this is. Like, he's going to tailgate for a little while just to, like, ride his ass and, like, upset him. And then he's going to like very dangerously go in the other lane and cut him off. Get his hand up there, higher up on the baseball bat. But this guy didn't do that, which is even more alarming. Because he pulled over into the next lane. And instead of going around, he then slowed down to the truck's speed so that he was side by side. And I couldn't see exactly what was going on. But you could, just, you, you could tell from based on what he was doing that he was obviously gesturing or yelling something. He, he decided to like go drive neck and neck and he was just like yelling, probably yelling shit or giving the finger. can only imagine. I don't think he just pulled up and decided to slow down neck and neck for fun. But the important thing is the truck didn't react at all. I don't know what they did to make this guy so angry. Like maybe this truck did something dangerous. I'm not saying the truck's perfect. The truck, the parable of the truck. But, uh, 
you know, I don't know what this truck did. Like, maybe they did, like, cut the guy off earlier. Maybe they did something dangerous. Maybe they fucked up. Maybe they're not a good person. I don't know. I have no idea who that person in the truck was. I have no idea who that person in the truck was. Uh, but the important part, I, I do know a little bit about him. I do know a little bit, bit about the person in the truck. Because what I noticed is when this other guy was fucking with him, the guy in the truck didn't react. He just kept doing what he was doing. He's just like, I'm just a truck. I'm just a truck in my own lane. I'm just a truck. I'm just a truck in my own lane. Um, that's a good one. It's a new song there. Uh, but uh, I'm just a truck in my own lane. But no, that's, that's what he did, though. He was, I was just like, yeah, he's not reacting at all. Like, he's doing nothing. Like, he has the discipline or, the, or he's senile or something to not, like, be like, okay, now I'm going to put my hand over yours on the baseball bat. Like, he's not playing the game back. And I like seeing that. Like, it's important to see that because you're like, oh, normally in these situations or a lot of the time, if, if somebody's being that aggressive on the road – the other person goes, oh, yeah, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Like, so take this, you know, this is back and forth. So when you actually see somebody not get upset and just keep doing their thing, just a truck in their own lane, it's, it's important. And uh, like, like what battle are you going to win in that situation anyway? Like, what is the result? It's only about pride. Like your road rage is only about pride. Because you don't want to feel like somebody else got one over on you. You don't want to feel like they were the one who won the baseball bat hand game. So, uh... Hey, Batty. What do you see? Squirrels? Uh, but, uh... I don't know, traffic, another traffic law sermon here. I just think they should be more draconian. And full circle back to the beginning, what that is is humility. That is actual humility. When somebody wrongs you in some way and you realize you don't have to do anything about it. Like sometimes you do. I'm not saying you should always turn the other cheek. I'm not saying you should never stand up for yourself or even be the aggressor sometimes. I mean, depending on the situation, like sometimes we, we have to make our presence known, you know, uh, but uh, it's, Humility when you realize, like, I don't need my hand to be the one on the top of the baseball bat who wins the game. If I'm even getting the, the rules of the game right, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> it's been a long time since I played baseball. But realizing, like, it doesn't matter if you win that game. And if you do it, things might be bad like you you, you you know it might be a bad decision and road rage is a horrible decision just using road rage as an example of pride and uh 
you know, a lot of it comes down to your pride, like wanting to feel like you won the game, like you got the last word. And so to not react in that situation where you're basically like, like someone is screaming at you, react. You're on the road. Someone starts screwing with you. A guy in another car starts tailgating you, gesturing. You go, you know, basically like he's screaming at you, react to me, react to me. And if you just go, hmm, this is weird. It becomes surreal at that point. If somebody is out of their mind, angry at you, emotional about it and you're not reacting it suddenly becomes a surreal situation there's this person who's like lit up and animated and you're just like standing there like huh this is interesting and uh, that's sort of the attraction of it for me too like, it's not just that you shouldn't react to every single thing telling you to react. It's that there's actually something kind of just interesting about it when you don't. You have this moment where it's like you're just kind of suspended in time. Like you're frozen in time for a second. like Because you, you're suddenly aware of like, whoa, I'm experiencing a different reality from this person. And they want me to get sucked into their reality that they're in right now. And it's really easy to. It is really easy to get sucked into someone else's reality when everything they're doing is saying, like, react. And the second you react, well, you're now in their reality, at least a little bit. But, uh... I think that it's humility that makes you not react. And you're going to react. It's not like you're perfect. You know, it's not like you're going to never react to anything. That's really silly. Because when you think you're not going to be able to, when you think that you're done reacting to things, you're probably going to have a bigger reaction to something than you even realize. Whereas if you just say, I'm, I know I'm going to react to things, but I'm going to try not to if I can help it. Well, I think you're going to have an, a softer fall when you do react too much to something. Because you're like, oh, I, I knew I knew that can happen. And if you know something can happen, you can kind of catch it at the root. You can kind of be like, oh, okay. I know that uh, I might get sucked into something. But if I start to like look for the signs that I'm getting sucked into it, I think that's a little easier, right? scam call I get so many of these now um i get so many of these now no i mean just I, I mentioned it before but like all of the spam to my like email to my uh through the contact form on my website i get texts now i get phone calls all all the time it's increased like tenfold and i'm also getting just like every single day like i went like years without having any new social media friends like uh, Facebook or Instagram or something like that. And the, the, around the same time that all this spam started increasing, 
I've also just been getting new friend requests like every day, like two people. It's crazy. People I don't know. And like I look at them and like I can't tell if they're real or not. Like they're they're into music and stuff, but and there's like mutual friends, whatever. But like a lot of them don't have like a picture of themselves and it just seems kind of like you know, I don't feel like I'm getting too far out there with this, but it, it almost feels like bots are now like, it, it's like they're developing bots for certain niches and subcultures or something. Because all these people seem like they're involved in music that like I'm peripherally aware of through people I know. But then they, but they also don't seem completely real. And it's like, that's how you know AI is one. You'll know AI has won when bots are online, like posting their playlist. You know, they'll be posting their um, the music they made. Once the bots start doing that, we know that it's over. We've lost. But uh, I'm getting these friend requests and stuff, and I'm like, I don't know if these are bots or not, and that's a sure sign that AI might win the war because they've gotten us to question whether we're dealing with a human being or not. And not just on one medium. Like, I just got that phone call right now. From It said, scam likely. I get those. They're always scams. They are scams. And most of the time, if you accidentally answer one of those... You might hear a recorded voice or a robot voice. It's not necessarily a human being telemarketer. I mean, I don't even know the last time I got like a true telemarketer. They're now the, my mom used to call them robocalls and that's what they are. Most of what you get are robocalls. Most of the spam email you get is robo you know, stuff. It's bots. And uh, a lot of people, there's, there's just all that stuff about like Russian bot farms, Russian troll farms. Think about thinking that like literally like 30 years ago, hearing Russian troll farms, you'd think like trolls living in Russia on farms. Um, but uh, it's like people say about Russian troll farms, like that kind of started this where people like in the, in the old internet, like when I started using the internet, People would accuse each other of doing things like making multiple accounts, hiding behind like different screen names, things like that, like accusing people of being a troll or whatever it was they did. I always hated, I hate any internet slang, honestly, and that's an early one. But uh, people kind of like questioned that, but they never questioned whether it was a human being. In like the late 90s, early 2000s, like nobody ever thought, like if somebody was on a forum or something or on a ch in a chat room or getting email for that matter, really, maybe, maybe I think spam email was already pretty big, but uh, definitely with like a chat room or instant messenger or like a forum, any of the ways that people communicated back then, you might think somebody was like pretending to be something they're not. You might think that they were hiding like it was a, like hiding behind a, a secret account to like fuck with people you might think people were doing that but you never questioned whether it was human and uh, 
when it was a bot, it was really obvious. Like on a forum, every once in a while, like there'd be like some bot account would register and post like a Viagra ad. But it was always obvious. It was always just like, you know, bad writing with like a Viagra ad. Like, you know exactly what that is. Like, if you don't realize that's a bot, your brain is just gone. Like, if you see like some weird named account being like, click here for Viagra. And you think that's a real person, well, uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool going through life, just like not picking up on things like that. But, but anyway, like it was always pretty obvious and you typically, like if you're using the internet back then, you really didn't sit there and think like, am I even talking to a real person? Cause when I was on Tinder, like this is like 10 years ago, I was on Tinder. Yeah. It was like, I mean, it was a better part of a decade, like probably nine years ago. Didn't use it very long, but when I was on Tendril, as I call it, I, uh, like, you know, it, it's, it's such a bad game you're playing. The odds are so stacked against you. And, uh, when you would get a rare match with somebody, I found that sometimes they were bots. It was like a pretty girl would match with you and then you'd get a message from her. Like you wouldn't message her. You get a message from her and you're excited. You're like, whoa, we matched. And then she's messaging me. And then you'd read it and it's like trying to sell something. And maybe for all I know, maybe these are even real girls just using their beauty to like market products. I don't know what it is. There were a couple though that I know were bots. And think about how fucked up that is. Think about how like psychologically damaging that is. Like get away from the digital and like physical world. Like get away from that idea and just focus on like what this human being is experiencing. They're like looking for love. They're, they're probably feeling some sense of desperation, some sense of shame. Like if somebody's on Tendril, somebody's on Bumble Tendril, I, Bumble Tendril. Um, somebody's on Bumble Tendril. It's a new one. Uh, if somebody's on there, there's a good chance, like maybe not everybody, but there's a good chance that person is desperate. Even if they say they're not, like to even put yourself in that pond. Not, and I don't think it's, a, I don't think desperation is bad. We use desperate so harshly. A lot of people are desperate in all kinds of ways. And there's a whole spectrum of desperation. I mean, what the fuck, man? People say desperate and it's like it has one level. It's like, oh, it's like the idea, it's like desperation only goes to 11 in people's minds or something. Like, like you can be just like a little bit desperate, but what you're feeling is still desperation. You're still being influenced by desperation. So it's just funny to me though, like, when somebody says, and, I, and I'm guilty of thinking this way too, when someone says like, oh, he's desperate, I'm like, oh, that's horrible. That's sad. But the reality of that is like someone can be a little bit desperate. <laughs> and so I think everybody on, on Tendril is a little bit desperate. And some people are very desperate. We know that. Every time I used it, I felt like a degree of desperation and I wasn't even desperate to meet somebody, but just like, it made me feel desperate. This is the most that I've ever said desperate in a single sentence. The more I repeat it, the more I don't even know what I'm saying. But shame, and then shame is the other part of that where even though it's normal now, 
Because, I mean, it used to be considered very shameful to meet people on dating sites. You know, it, it was uh, considered shameful. Oh, you met him in a chat room. She met a husband. She left a husband for a guy she met in a chat room. That was considered shameful, obviously. But uh, it was considered shameful just in general to go on dating sites for a while. And I don't even know how much of that was really, like, socially enforced. Like, I know that, like, people would probably, like, older people and stuff probably would have been like, eh. You met him on the internet? You met him on the internet? You know, there are older people who probably kind of gave younger people shit about that. But it's not like it was, you know, I mean, who cares? That's what happens with everything. But, like, it, it, what's interesting, my point is, is that, like, initially, there was this, like, huge stigma about it. But I don't even know how much of that was, like, society telling you or people telling you that it was shameful to meet somebody on an online dating site versus just something kind of coming from within. Because, honestly, like, I never gave a shit about what society thinks about, you know, meeting a girl on the Internet. Like, I, I couldn't give a shit about that at any point in time. Like, I, I didn't meet, I didn't get on dating sites until I was, like, in my mid-20s. But, like, the idea of doing that didn't, it, I don't know, it didn't, I didn't like the fact that I was on display. Like, the only thing I really didn't like about it was just that, like, you put yourself on display. And you're like, here's me. It is this, it's like this market. It's a marketplace of people, you know? I don't like to be, I mean, it's thinking about it now, I want to bang my head against the wall because I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the last thing I would ever want is to put myself in just a marketplace of people like that. And so when I felt shame about being on dating sites, it really felt like it was coming from me. It didn't feel like I was like, oh, society looks down their nose at this. Because by then, I was in my mid-20s, like I said, the first time I ever tried meeting women from the internet. I never met any girlfriends or anything before I was in my mid-20s. I was like 25 or 26. And, uh, no, I mean, even and, and even past then, I mean... Most of, no, I mean, like, every single relationship I've had has been, like, meeting them in person first. Like, like I mean, just meeting them organically through, like, people I know or, like, school or, or whatever it is. So, I don't, I've never had a, a significant girlfriend uh, who I met from the internet. But anyway, point being, like, a little self-reflection there. But anyway, uh, the interesting thing about it, though, is, is just that, like, I felt this, like, kind of internal shame about dating sites. Like, I'm, I'm not opposed to just the idea of the internet, but like dating sites, that marketplace, it just, it, it makes me feel like, it, it twists my insides to think about it. And when I hear about friends who are still on those things, I feel it for them. I'm like, God, that sounds fucking awful. But then on top of all that, on top of what got me on this desperation and shame theme is I feel like everybody on social or everybody on dating sites even if they're totally secure in the fact that, hey, this is what people do now. Nobody's going to judge me. You know, there's nothing wrong with meeting somebody this way. You know, because our society has accepted it now and it's it's the norm now. But yet, I think people still feel desperate and shameful about it. And... Uh, 
So to get back to where I was going with it, with this thought, people are feeling very desperate and shameful already, even now, like even in 2022, where everybody in their their uncle is meeting girls online, girls are meeting guys, whatever, whoever's meeting whoever. And uh, even now, though, there's this sense of desperation and shame. But then on top of that, you get on there and you might match with a bot. Haven't forgotten about bots. You might match with a bot. You might, you're a guy. And even if you're a, a decent looking guy, it's an uphill battle on dating sites. It really is. The, the number of guys who are wildly successful on there are so small. And so even a decent looking guy who, who might have something going for him. And, you know, this is, this is the story with my friends, you know, and I mean, this was my experience too, where it's like, even if you have something going for you as a guy, it's going to be an uphill battle. And I'm not mad about that. Because I think sometimes when you point that out, people uh, think you're like mad at women because dating sites give them more quantity. Like a woman has a lot more to choose from. And so I think I talked about this before. We're like a woman on social media's dilemma is not quantity. It is quality. She has a lot of suitors on there. Yeah, maybe some women don't. I don't know. I know that women, every woman I've ever known, we've, we've spoken about these things. They have a much easier time on there. And they don't realize how difficult it is for men. They have no concept of that. And they'll complain. Like, I, I've seen this argument take place or this discussion, not, not so much an argument. I think I've had it with women I know where they'll say, like, oh, no, it's, it's just as hard for a woman. Like, you don't know how bad it is. Like, they'll complain about their experience on dating sites. And they don't realize that, like, their issue is one of quality. Like, what's difficult for them on there, for a lot of women, is they're forced to assess the quality of each guy. They're forced to actually think about what they want. They look at these different guys who are messaging them and matching with them, and they think like, okay, you know, I want to... An echoey room here. What are you doing, buddy? Um, and they think like, okay, I want to choose the guy that I like the best or who appeals to me the most. Like a, like a woman can afford to like look at a guy's playlist. Back to the bots are posting playlists, um, but uh, she can look at a guy's like playlist on there or something and be like, okay, I want this guy because of that. I never had that. Uh, I, I never had the liberty to do that when I was on dating sites. Maybe I was just abysmally bad, but I know this is true from a lot of guys I know. Guys who have stuff going for them and stuff, like in every respect, who are, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not that it's impossible or, or, I mean, they have it better than a lot of guys, but it's still kind of this uphill battle and you don't really have the liberty to be like, oh, I'm not going to go out with her because she likes this band. Chances are you're going to say, okay, well, that's not really important to me and I, yeah, I'm not getting any dates. I'm not getting any, any dates, so it's like I, you don't have the liberty in that position to really, like, I mean, I, I didn't do a ton of dating on there, but I definitely went on a few dates where I was like, I mean, this is the only, I mean, we didn't do anything. I didn't do anything with them beyond, like, go on the date. 
but there were a few girls I remember where like I went on I, I just like met them just to be like I mean I've been you know it's been months since I've since you know I haven't been able to meet anybody on here I'll just I'll see what this girl's like you know which again what what did I say desperation I wasn't even desperate for a girl like I'm not promiscuous and uh, you know I, I'm not necessarily looking for a girlfriend at any given time but even I was like well my desperation is creeping up so I mean I might as well just like make a date with this chick and see what she's all about and that could be fun. Like I met this girl quite a bit younger than I was. Not probably not a ton, but like five years probably. But she was like running like a. This is before weed was legal. So it probably would have been like it had to have been like 2012 or something, maybe 2011, 2012. And uh, she ran like a medical weed. She she made medical weed candy. Again, it's it's before it was legal, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Like she made lollipops and stuff, but you know, I wasn't really attracted to her, and like we had fun talking. I don't even remember her name or anything about her, but it was just like, yeah, I'll meet her. Like, you know, whatever. But I, I wasn't into her really. But you do that. You end up doing that as a man. Like you end up like just being like, okay, I guess you know, I'll see what this girl's all about. I'm not in a position to nitpick. You want to at least feel like you're doing something. And again, I'm not promiscuous, so it wasn't like, oh, I'm a, I'm a horny man. I'm a horny man. I better get a date because I, dude, I need to get laid, dude. You know, I never really had that approach at all. But you reach a point where you're just like, man, like, I want to at least meet somebody here. And uh, women probably do that too. I'm sure women do that as well. But like when I hear women complain about dating sites, I don't know if they all realize. I'm sure some of them do, but not all women realize their dilemma is often one of quality, which is a dilemma still. You know, I mean, it's a freaking dilemma to try to like decide what's better to weigh the pros and cons. Like even if you're not making a list of pros and cons, that's what your brain does anyway. Like, when you're looking at a girl on social media, you might see fewer of the cons because you're like, I, I have to see the pros somehow. You know, I, I have to, the numbers game isn't in my favor. Like, I had a, a friend of mine in Portland told me he would, like, swipe right on every single woman, even if he wasn't attracted to her. And he's a good-looking guy. Like, he's, he's a handsome guy. He's... Uh, talented you know he's he's a funny dude like he's he's a good friend of mine and you know uh he's he's not uh it, it shouldn't be a problem for him you know is, is kind of what i'm getting at like he shouldn't have such a problem with it but it's like it's so dire being a man on on a dating site that like guys do that like there's the numbers game like might as well match with them and not follow up like might as well match with a really ugly girl and then just not saying anything. It's like keeping all of your options open. And someone would easily interpret that as like, oh, guys would swipe right on every single girl because they're so horny. They're so hoy. 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 They're so hoy. <laughs> they're so hoy. It's like, uh, 
Horny becomes hoy. In my dialect, horny becomes hoy. I think some guys are so hoy. <laughs> it's the stupidest fucking thing. I think that's the stupidest fucking thing to ever come up on this show. It's so hoy. Um, but I think some people would think like, oh, a guy would swipe right on every single girl because he's so freaking hoy. He needs to get laid, dude. Dude, you gotta get laid, dude. You know, people think that that's the mindset, and for some guys it is. But I, for a lot of guys, it's just like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this just because it's a numbers game. And you also, it's a dopamine game too. It's, it's a numbers game. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about dating websites. They're a numbers game, and they're a. Uh, let me get this right. Let me tell you a little bit about dating websites. They're a numbers game and they're a dopamine game. It's big time dopamine. You know, people talk about the dopamine rush of social media or the girl I liked liked my post. That's a dopamine hit, of course. And it's from everybody too, but like romance or like a tent acknowledgement from somebody that you're attracted to is a huge, I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest dopamine rushes you can get, especially when you're not sure yet if they like you. Like once she's your girlfriend or something, you know, it's, it might be a different story where like it feels good that she likes you, feels good that she likes you. But it's not necessarily going to give you the same dopamine hit because you're you're comfortable, you're secure. But when you're uh, starting out and you're like, I don't even know if she likes me. What did this mean when she said, oh, she when she said this, what did this mean? Does it mean she likes me? Every every single thing she says to you or every interaction you have with her. Your brain is saying, does this mean she likes me? Does this mean she likes me? Does this mean, does she like me? Like the, the number of things that get funneled into that, it's insane. I mean, it's it's truly freaking insane. When you have a crush on somebody, especially a really big crush, she likes your social media post. Does it mean she likes me? Does it mean she likes me? Oh, I saw her at a bar, and she came up and said hi. That means she, does that mean she likes me? Oh, she added me on on social media. Does that mean she likes me? Does that mean? Does it, does it, I mean, that's what you're doing. It's fucking insane that everything gets filtered into that. I was talking about that, I think, recently about like when you, the same thing happens when you break up with somebody because it's it's periods of insecurity, the you know, romantic insecurity, like you meet somebody and thing you don't really know. You, you think she might like you, but your interactions are kind of circumstantial and you can't say for sure. It's this period of insecurity where you're like, and you're worried about like overstepping, you're worried about embarrassing yourself. 
So you just like it. Does that mean she likes me? Does that mean she likes me? Does that mean she likes me? That means you like me. That means not me. It's my song. But uh, it's it's the insecurity that's causing you to think that way because you don't know. And then when you break up with somebody, even if you did it, like even if you wanted it to break up, like it's still a period of insecurity. And, uh, you know, it's, it's natural to kind of do the same thing you were doing when you got together, when you first met. That's the interesting thing is a lot of breakups kind of go that way. Even if they needed to happen, I think a lot of breakups kind of end on the same terms they started with, depending. Like if, especially if there isn't a big blow up or something, like there's nothing horrible, just kind of it ends, you know, and you go... Oh, I'm in the, I'm on that insecure ground and I, I, I kind of don't like how this worked. I miss that person, whatever other things you want to, you know, you want to add to it. There's a million of them, but it's like, you're now insecure again. Was that the right decision? Maybe not. Oh, she broke up with me and uh, I really miss her. She broke up with me and I really miss her. And, uh, you know, she liked my post. I've 100% done that with recent exes. I think I mentioned that. Like, uh, I mentioned the dating that girl, and she broke up with me, and I was initially very upset about it. And uh, then, like, she liked a post of mine, and then, like, I went back and checked it again, and, and she had unliked it. Really, I mean, there's nothing embarrassing about admitting that because it's just, that's how insane this makes you. Because it's, it's just, it's like the backwash of, does she like me? Does she like me? Does she like me? Does that mean she likes me? Does that mean she still likes me? That's what the question becomes. You break up with somebody and then like, they text you or like, uh, want to meet up even. I, I mean, that, that, that's happened. Like an ex-girlfriend wants to meet up and just like say hi. And your brain goes, does that mean she still likes me? Does that mean... Even if you wouldn't want to get back together, your brain still kind of does this. Because you're on this... It's insecure. You're on this unstable ground. So your brain goes like... Does the same thing it did at the beginning. But... Uh, does she like me? Does she like me? Does she like me? Does she still like me? Does she still like me? It's like a mantra. It is. I mean, these are the things that we might not say out loud to ourselves, but we're constantly thinking. It's beyond words. Like, people sometimes wonder, like, well, what would our thoughts be like if we didn't have words? Because, I mean, no matter what you feel, like, as a thinking, talking person, your thoughts come in the form of language. You know, maybe sometimes visuals, but it's like language is, is, you know, what kind of binds our thoughts together. But you think about something uh, that doesn't come to you in the form of language. Like something that is, is being repeated inside of you, but it's not in the form of language. That's something like that mantra I'm talking about. When you meet a girl or a girl breaks up with you, whatever makes you kind of like preoccupied and, and, and turns you into this weird 
just freak who who's just does she like me does that mean she likes me does that mean she likes me you know when something puts you in that state uh you might not be experiencing that or thinking consciously of it you know you might not put that to words in your own mind that like when she does something you're not you're in your internal monologue if it exists isn't going to say oh does that mean she likes me it might but it might not a lot of the times it doesn't instead what happens is your your subconscious is feeling that you're feeling that you're experiencing a thought, but there's no words for it because it's it's so deep inside of you. But it's like being under a spell because it's like this is something that's probably unimportant. This is probably unimportant. But it feels like the most important thing in the world to that person at that time. But the dopamine rush, we haven't... I, I didn't I didn't even go into the dopamine game. You heard of the dope game? Well, this is the dopamine game. Now, obviously, you know, social media itself or anything, getting a phone call from somebody. Like there was this one time in like sixth grade, I think it was, these two girls called me. I didn't get a lot of phone calls from girls, just, to, you know, here and there. I didn't get, I wasn't, I wasn't a, one of the boys though, who was getting like tons of calls from girls all the time. But one time in sixth grade, it was just like, like that's like just the age that things are changing. These two girls who were pretty, like these two pretty girls called me. And I think they were calling every boy in the phone book because they issued out these phone books to every student that had every other student's phone number in case you needed to call them. It was crazy. A lot of information, a lot of valuable data in there. But uh, these two girls, like I think they were calling every boy in the phone book. So it's not that I was that special, but I'm sure there were a few boys they didn't call to give myself a little credit. You know, I think there were probably a few boys they didn't call, but I think they called a number of boys. And they were doing a survey. It was really incredible. Like these two little uh, girl genies, geniuses, genies. But they were just like sitting around, hanging out. They were best friends. And they were like, let's call the boys and do a survey. And the survey was... They read off the name of every single girl in our class and asked me if I liked each one. Like they would read off and they'd be like, uh, Kelsey, blah, blah, blah. And I had to say yes or no. It was like being in court. It was like uh, testifying in court or something. Do you have, a, it was like the court of the girls, the court of girls. I, had to, I was under oath and they were like, is it true that you like Kelsey blah, blah, blah? And I had to say yes or no. And I was under oath. And they did it with each girl. And it was jokey. It was fun. And at the very end, they read off their names. The very end, they read off each of their names. And I realized then that, oh, that's the reason they did this. I mean, on one hand, like, if they know that Johnny likes Kelsey, blah, blah, blah. On one hand, like, that's valuable gossip. And gossip's a powerful currency with girls that age. With everybody. But especially 12-year-old girls. 
They're just learning like the power of gossip at that age. They really are. And uh, so it's valuable data in that sense. If you find out that Johnny likes uh, Johnny likes bleh. It was valuable data. But then what they really wanted to know, I realized at the end, was who likes them. They read off their names last, and I'm, I'm sure that that was what they really wanted to know. And I wonder if any boys admitted to it. I didn't really have a particular crush on either one. They were both, they were pretty girls, and you couldn't help but, but find them attractive and like them a little bit. But I don't know that I was, like, I don't know that my crush was on either one at any point, but I was like, oh, yeah, that's why they did that phone call. They want to know who likes them. It's the Instagram story thing I was talking about, where it's like people want to see if their crush looked at their story. The appeal of Instagram story for a lot of people is that you get to see who saw it. You get to look at where, you, you know, I mean, it's just crazy. You know, that's, that's the appeal of that stuff is it's like, we've expanded our, uh, we, we, we've, uh, let me think about this, not expanded. We've just gotten like way, we, like, I mean, there's been like distinct phases of this stuff where it's like with online communication or phone communication, any of that, like we went from in the early internet, it was like, okay, this guy has a website. Isn't that crazy? Oh, if you want to talk to him, you send him an email and he'll email you back. You know, that used to be how it worked. Then, uh, you know, forums existed, but I'm not going to get into that. But then, like, just, like, leaving comments. Like, the first wave, like, jumping ahead to the first wave of social media, where it was, like, journals and just these basic minimal profiles about me, things like that. And uh, with that, though, it was, like, you could now comment. Like, if you remember MySpace... You would leave comments on your friend's pages and pictures. Like there was just a place where you could comment on your friend's page and people would go back and forth. I didn't even use it very much, but people would go back and forth commenting on each other's page and they would have conversations that way, but it was public. And of course they had private messages too, but there was this like public back and forth. And like, why don't, why didn't they have that conversation through messages or email or something? Well, there's, it, it's like a, I don't know, like people, they kind of want their interactions to be on display. They, they like to acknowledge each other and they like, they like other people to see them being acknowledged. You know, Batty, it, it does that. It's a big thing with Batty where if somebody's giving him attention, like if somebody's petting him and like excited about him, he's very happy, but he looks at me and he looks at other people. Like, are you seeing this? Like, are you seeing what this... Are you seeing this person acknowledging me and, and giving me attention? And, you know, it's really cute, but it's not just dogs that do that. It's like, we, we're like that too, where we're like, okay, like, I don't, it's not just that I want to be acknowledged, but I want other people to see me being acknowledged. It's like this psychic ceremony we have. 
Like you think about like a putting a medal on somebody at a ceremony and there's witnesses there. There's an audience. And what that is, like what what putting a medal on somebody, like giving you know giving somebody some award or medal in front of an audience, which is the standard way of doing it, what that's saying is like we're not just going to acknowledge this great thing you did, but we want other people to see us acknowledge you. And you want that too. There's a chance you you want other people to see it happen too, especially people close to you. But uh, I think that kind of explains like, because I was just thinking about that where it's like on MySpace, yeah, it was like you would leave a public comment on their page and then they could do it back to you. And it wasn't all like in a thread, like it wasn't all on the same page. Like in order to like read a conversation on there, you had to go back and forth between the two pages because like it just showed their comment to the other person who was interesting. Not very intuitive, like not, I don't know. I don't think they knew what, what it even, I don't think they, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think they really understood like the direction things were heading in. But anyway, like uh, just thinking about it now, I'm like, oh yeah, why would you do that? Because you're having a one-way conversation with your friend. Or, or I mean a two-way conversation, but you're the only people going back and forth. Why wouldn't you just do that through messages? Like why would you post that publicly so that all of their MySpace friends can see it? Well, because it's like, I'm acknowledging this person. I want people to see that we're friends. I want people to see that we're friends. <laughs> I want people to see that we're friends. I want people to see that we're friends. Stupid shit here today. But, uh... That's kind of part of it. It's like, I, I, want, I want people to see that you're acknowledging me. That's important to people. And, uh, you know, but, but then the, just the, getting back to the trajectory I'm talking about here, um, that was kind of the first phase of it. But then like, like Facebook came out and I wasn't an early user, so I don't know what it was like originally, but from what I gather, like it used to be comment based. And I don't know that the liking system existed when it was new. I don't know if it was there. I think I started using it in like 2007 around there, like at the end of 2007. And I barely used it. I didn't even check it. Like my girlfriend at the time would leave me all these like lovey-dovey messages on my page, which which is exactly my point. Like why? Because like she did that privately too. Like she was really sweet. Like she would send me messages in the morning, like when I was at work, you know, she did, all, she, she did all those really sweet things that people do privately. But then like, I, I, I honestly never even logged in the first like year, no, the first like four years. I didn't even actually start like looking at Facebook regularly until like 2010 or 11. I just, I can remember what was going on in my life at the time is how I can pinpoint that. But, uh, so like the first like four years or something using that, having an account, like I didn't even check it and my girlfriend and like friends of mine would leave me comments on my page. It was very much like MySpace or someone would just leave a comment for you. And, uh, 
like it's interesting to think like my girlfriend doing that publicly which didn't embarrass me or bother me i mean it was sweet and everything it wasn't like she was doing it every day it wasn't like over the top it was just like just like oh this made me think of you or this this, this kind of thing and it's like why wouldn't she do that privately well it's because like I don't know. I mean, you know, she wants people to see it and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's, it's fine. Like some people do it too much, but it's like, like, that's like, Oh, I, I want people to see that this is my boyfriend or that like I'm his girlfriend or whatever it is. You know, it's the reason why, like when, when you get invited to a party, like you want to bring like a hot plus one. There's a reason why you want to bring a double DD blonde plus one, a, a 10. There's a reason why you want to bring a 10 to the work party. Part of that is like, yeah, you, you like a 10. I like, a, I like a good 10. You like a 10, but uh, you also know like that people are going to see that. Like you bring a 10 to the work party and the girls will be jealous and the guys will uh, en envy you. Oh, you see him? You see Johnny? Johnny came to the work party with a 10. You should have seen the double D's under. You know, Johnny wants people to say that. I mean, not everybody, not every guy. But a lot of people do want that. Like, even if it's, even if it's not, like, their primary motivation, like, there is something nice about taking a woman to a, an event with people you know and they don't know her, and they're like, oh, hey. You know, there's something kind of nice about that, but you want them to keep it in their head. You don't want people to say that to you. I've never been with a, a, a 10, I don't think, but uh, just, I, I did have one girlfriend, and I mean, like, she was uh, extremely pretty. But it was actually kind of, it, it was crazy. Like, I've dated other pretty girls, but, like, this girl, something about her, like, it was like it was almost like a, yeah, there was just something about her that really brought it out of people. And I, I don't feel like she, beyond just being pretty, I don't think she really did much to invite it. And I don't know, and it wasn't even, like, sexual harassment stuff. I don't know what her, uh, her like, daily experience was like on her own, but, like, we'd be out at public places... And like old men would like elbow me and go, you did, you did good. You did good on that one. Oh, dude, she's a real looker. They would even say it to her in front of me and not, not in a way like they were trying to hit on her. Like they just felt like they had to say it. And it was kind of crazy. I didn't like it though. It's not like, I mean, it was nice to see that, like, people found the girl I was seeing attractive. Like, you know, and, and this isn't me doing, like, a, a back to humility. Like, a people use that, that term humble brag. Like, this isn't a humble brag. Like, oh, I, I, had a, I dated a girl who was so pretty. You know, she probably experiences that all the time. And uh, it was just kind of like it blew my mind in a way because I'm like, old men, like, feel comfortable elbowing me and like telling me how pretty this girl is and like wanting to like high five me or something but it, it didn't that kind of acknowledgement didn't make me feel good like keep it in your head man yeah we all see sometimes we all see like a pretty girl with a guy and are like good for him oh man she's so pretty oh god she's so pretty but like keep it in your head
Because to me, like saying that out loud, like telling another guy, and the old men were harmless. They were just kind of being creepy old men. But sometimes younger guys would kind of do it, and that bothered me. I'm not a, partic I'm not a particularly jealous guy, but like when younger guys would kind of acknowledge that girl in my presence, it did piss me off. Because it's like, yeah, you know, you're welcome to think it. Like your your brain is your own, you know, it's your own uh, football field to do what you want with. I don't know why football field, but <laughs> kick that ball, throw that ball, run that ball, pass the ball, do whatever the fuck you want in your own head. But uh, like when, when somebody says that out loud, it, to me it's like, or just acknowledges it too much. It's like, that's like one step it's, it's, I don't know. It's just like, why even say it? Like, am I going to sit there and be like, oh, I feel so good that somebody said that? Like, I know she's pretty. You don't need to tell me she's pretty. Just, it's, it's, it's kind of aggressive. I mean, I'd say it is aggressive. It's not a crime. But it's just kind of like, no, you know, it's, it's a little bit aggressive. It's a little, it's forward. But, uh... Acknowledgement, though, like there's too much acknowledgement, but there's still there was a part of me, though, like that said, there was a part of me that like if I brought her somewhere, I liked that there were people who would be like, dang, it was cool. Because and, you know, it, it just I mean, it, it's just like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, she is very pretty. That wasn't the reason that wasn't the only reason I liked her, you know. But uh, that was a, a certainly, you know, an undeniable aspect of it. But there's too much acknowledgement, too. And uh, it's, it's why, like, uh, you know, like love bombing and things like that are such a problem. Because it's like, I've liked a girl before. There's a, a lot of romance stuff. But it's, it's really interesting for me to look back on, you know, some of these things now. Just kind of like, I feel like I have like a bird's eye view of like some things that I saw and did when I was a little bit younger, especially with romance, because that was something that even though I wasn't that preoccupied with it, I was still preoccupied with it, which tells you how preoccupied everybody is with it. But like looking back at it now, like I remember like liking a girl or something, but then like love bombing you. And like getting this kind of sinking feeling, especially like if it's too early or something, and you, you get this kind of sinking feeling and you're like, just a little bit is good. Like just a little bit. Like this is over the top. This is crazy. Just a little bit goes a long way. Like a little bit of acknowledgement from somebody you like goes a really long way, which is why I say that like people will... You know, like like people, like a girl will wave at a guy, and his brain goes, "Does that mean she likes me? Does that mean she likes me? Does that mean she likes me?" Like, think about how little of that goes such a long way. Oh, she added me on social media. Think about how far that can go with somebody. Think about like how how hard of a dopamine hit that is. So a little bit goes a long way. Back to dating websites, haven't forgotten. It's a dopamine game because a little goes a long way. And if you're a guy, 
it's easier to get that dopamine hit. Or sorry, it's not easier to get the dopamine hit. It's that when you get a dopamine hit, it hits you harder. Like girls are getting dopamine from some of the attention and like maybe some of what guys say to them, whatever it is, you know, like, like engaging with a guy that they find interesting or attractive is going to give them dopamine, but it's like in smaller increments and uh, there's kind of like a constant stream of it. Whereas for men, it's like the dopamine hits are kind of few and far between. And so when you get one, like when you get a match and you find the girl interesting or attractive, that's a big dopamine hit. Because you don't get a lot of them. And we're, we also haven't forgotten bots. Being on social, uh, God, I keep saying, it's easy to confuse. I mean, it, it is social media. I mean, dating websites are social media, so I'm not wrong, but I'm trying to be specific here. Dating uh, websites, even like close to a decade ago when I was last on Tendril, whenever that was, maybe, maybe it was like 2013, I don't know, around there. I was even getting bots then, or people who I didn't know were bots, or real girls who were hawking some kind of product part of some like multi-level marketing scheme. And, you know, so, but there was a question and that's what I, that, that's my point about like why AI has pretty much won in, in so many of these battles that like, we're now at a point where like, you're a guy on social media, you're already desperate and shameful to some degree. You're not getting very many dopamine hits. And then you match with somebody and you get this dopamine hit. And then she messages you trying to sell you a fucking product. And you don't even know if it's a bot or a real girl. And you don't know which would be better or worse. What's worse? A bot who who's like pretending to be a hot girl and matches with you to scam you or do something to do what bots do? Or is it worse for a real girl to be on there pretending to be interested in guys to try to sell them something. I think the latter is probably worse. Because a bot is, you know, up to this point, a bot is just a bot. Somebody, somebody uh, programmed that bot. I think the girl who's on there, who's like using, using dating websites to try to push some, probably girls on there who are trying to sell like cryptocurrency or something, something I don't know much about. You know, and who knows what else. But uh, I think that's probably worse, but the effect is the same. Either way, it doesn't matter which is worse, because either way, you get this match or this message, and you say to yourself, like, oh, fuck. It's not just that you your dopamine hit goes away. It's that it, like, even recedes. Like, you have less dopamine than you had before. And so that's why guys play the numbers game in part. It's not even that they necessarily want to meet. And I didn't do that. I didn't play the numbers game on there. I basically like, I think that I would swipe if a girl was basically like average in my opinion or better. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's fucking standard. I, I didn't really have, I didn't have a system. I didn't have a system. But anyway, um, uh, I didn't play the numbers game, but like you can understand why guys do. 
Because even if they don't want to meet these girls, even if they're not attracted to certain girls, like just getting matches, like there's a, it's, it's the dopamine game. Like simply engaging with somebody at all. You know, that desperation, like desperation, you know, I mean, people are desperate for dopamine. People are desperate for dopamine. Desperate for dopamine. Stupid shit. But, uh, uh, as a result, though, like, like a guy, yeah, a guy just like, just to like play the game, just to feel like he isn't losing the game completely. Cause I mean, you know, it gives you a big dopamine hit, a touchdown, a first down, an interception, a sack. You know, when you're playing a literal game, in addition to just like enjoying the mechanics of it and like doing it, like the dopamine rush you feel when things go your way or you're good at something, you know, so like these other things turn into the same thing though, where it's like, yeah, scoring, if you're a football player, scoring a touchdown gives you a dopamine hit. And if you're a fan of that team, it gives you a dopamine hit. But like matching with a girl on uh, Tendril, on Bumble Tendril, is it's like getting a first down or something. This is how online dating's like football. But uh, you know that's that's kind of what it's like. It's like uh, you uh, you get a first down. Like you match with somebody and you're like first down. We can keep on playing. We can keep moving on down the field. This isn't even supposed to be like a sex metaphor. This isn't even going to be a sex metaphor where touchdowns are, are sex. There's no, I'm, this isn't a first base thing. I'm just talking, this is, this is PG. This is a PG conversation. But yeah, like matching with somebody on an online dating site, it's kind of like getting a first down in football in the NFL. It's like, okay. We can keep, we got options. We can keep moving, keep moving forward. A little dopamine hit. Hey, this is something. Just got to get another first down. She messages you and like wants to keep talking. Or, or rather like you message her. She messages you back and like asks you a question. And you're like, oh, another first down. Maybe she kind of like acts disinterested or gives you like one word replies. That's second down, third down. Then on fourth down, you know, she, uh, you, you go for it. And then she's responsive again. And you're like, oh, another first down. And then touchdown is like meeting. Not even having like a successful, not getting laid, not uh, not even finding a girlfriend, just just meeting at all is kind of the touchdown in the game of online dating. Because, you know, the game changes once you actually meet. And this, and this really isn't some like pickup artist game bullshit. I'm just, I'm talking about football. But these things are games. I mean, the reason, the, the whole reason why that pickup artist shit used the name the game it's the same reason, like, people, the phrase dating games and things like that have always been around. People understand there's kind of a game to it. But now that people are doing it through their phones, because people are doing it in this digital way, it's become kind of like a literal game. 
you know, it, it's it's become much more the, the game has become much more obvious. Like the fact that you're swiping and uh, you're trying to get this result. Because when you're talking to a girl online like that, it's kind of like playing an old puzzle game or you know, like an early, like those old uh, Western RPGs where a lot of it was like text-based. Like you'd go up to a, a random, like the old computer RPGs where like you go up to like a random guy guarding a door and he's like, uh, you know, like you can't come in without the password. And then you type in, like, ask him about, and then you, you name a word, and then he has some other response. And it's like, you're trying to figure out the password by asking the right questions. And that's kind of what it's like, like when you're talking to a girl. It's very much like, the, like an old school RPG where it's like, you have to think about what you're going to say, and you're probably overthinking it. And the idea is to say the right thing, you know, that gets the right response. Like, what, what I'm saying is, super freaking obvious i'm not saying this is like some profound thought but it it is kind of like that it is like it's like a text-based rpg and that's what it is except the difference is the other person is also playing a text-based rpg but they're coming from a different place they're playing a different character but what it is it's a you're, you're playing a text-based rpg when you're on an online dating site and you match with somebody and are trying to like figure out the right thing to say, the right keyword. But, uh, you know, each first down gives you a hit of dopamine where it's like, oh, first down, first down, with the goal of eventually meeting. Because once you meet, like then at least your physical self is carrying part of the, the load. When it's just through the phone, it's really no different than a game. And if it's a bot, I mean, it's, it really is like an RPG because when you get those bots, it's like a random battle. Like in old Super Nintendo RPGs, when your character would be walking around, like Final Fantasy, your character would be walking around out in the open field and then you, you'd have random battles and you hated it. Especially when I was a little kid and I didn't understand the value of leveling up. In those old Final Fantasies, I, did, you know, I didn't really, I was a kid, I just wanted to explore villages and like progress the story, do what we call a little progressing the story. You know, I, want, I just wanted to do that at first. I was like seven years old or something when I rent, my, my family rented uh, Final Fantasy 2 and it changed my life. But all I wanted to do is like wander and talk to people and wander through the villages, like fight the bosses. And then the bosses would just wipe me out because I didn't level up. I would just run away from every battle. And then you realize, okay, like in order to, for this game to be more fun, I have to grind. I have to level my characters up. And the older I got, the more I did that. Like, it's funny to think about that. Like my patience or something, you know, it's because I, I mean, that's monotonous. It's psychologically the same thing. Like I lift weights now, you know, and I, I exercise a lot. It's kind of a similar form of monotony where like you can almost appreciate just the mechanism of like lifting a weight. 
like even though you're not being entertained by anything you can like put your brain in such a place that like just the simple mechanism of lifting these weights and knowing that it's going to be good for you move you know long term like that this is going to be beneficial to you to do this and not just the monotony of like lifting the weights themselves but the monotony of like every other day for the rest of the foreseeable future i need to work out every day i need to do something but like every other day i'll do weights and i have to do that forever to get the result that i want that's hard for people like that grind it's not just that like you have to do this for two hours on the days that you do it it's that like you you have to do it every other day or whatever it is you have to do it all the time now to get what you want out of it because people go to the gym like they january 1st they it's called uh, the uh it's called the uh new year's resolution go to the gym but like people will get a gym membership and you know it's, it's a cliche but it's true i've known people to do this or it's like they get they get a gym membership they go once and they get a huge dopamine fit. Like they're very proud of themselves. They went to the gym. Maybe they went a few times. Maybe they went for like a week. But they, they or they just start working out or doing something like that. But they, let's use the gym as an example. They go to the gym and like they get a dopamine hit from that. And like they tell people, like I went to the gym. Oh, and like, and they feel like that first time that they go to the gym, they feel like they completed the task and like that it's done now. Oh, I went to the gym once I'm in shape. I know it sounds silly to say, but I really think that people think this way because I used to think this way, which is that like, sometimes you think like, Oh, I, I really need to go to the gym and get in shape and you go do it once. And you're like so proud of yourself and, uh, that you like think you already did it. And then you wake up really sore. And you realize that, oh, no, in order to do this, in order to get the result that I want, I have to do what I just did yesterday every single day or every other day, whatever it is. I have to, like, establish a discipline. And that's pretty crazy. But it's the monotony. And so, like, RPGs, it's psychologically the same. Yeah, I was a fat little kid at that point sitting in front of a Super Nintendo. And it was difficult for me to understand, like, why you would level up your characters, like, why you would fight tons of boring, random battles. You know, it's just, it's not fun. Random battles can be annoying enough, like, when you're not grinding. I mean, often they're even more annoying when you're not grinding because you just want to move forward. But, like, in old RPGs, you'd grind and you'd just be like, as a like a seven-year-old first playing that, I'm like, I don't see the appeal of this. But I was intrigued enough, like I was into the game enough, like the world that I was seeing, that I knew that I liked it. But the random battles just seemed like torture. And that's how like working out can feel, you know, in real life. It's psychologically the same thing. But you can kind of, you can develop an appreciation for the mechanics of it. And I ended up kind of doing that again. I told you this was going to be a pretentious episode. I kind of developed an appreciation for the mechanics of grinding in RPGs where it's like, it's almost meditation. Like, cause 
you know, you're fighting, you're, you're walking around in circles, fighting the same bad guys over and over again. You start to realize like the exact patterns of attacks and everything about these guys. And so you basically just like follow a formula and you just like exploit the mechanics of the game and uh, do that over and over and over again. And so it becomes this kind of me mechanical process and you just sort of tune it out. Because that's that doesn't seem like a kid thing to do to me. Like explaining that, like like I think about uh, this redneck friend I had, really great kid, but like not, you know, not the kind of kid who would understand like a role playing game or RPGs. And I can't imagine that kid like sitting in front of a Super Nintendo grinding in an RPG. Not because it's like. Uh, it just wouldn't make sense to him. Like you play video games to have fun, right? Even if they're hard. Like if Mario, if Super Mario is hard, it's like a, it's it's you're doing something fun. It's like active. You're like running. You're like jumping over things. Like trying to like jump on bad guys. You know. So it's like at least it's like an active form of fun. But uh, with an RPG, the idea of just like walking around in circles. So that you can like navigate a, a text menu to attack bad guys, but like you're just standing on the opposite sides of the screen and your character like lifts his arm and then suddenly like these like numbers show up that show the damage to the bad guy. And you're going to do that over and over again against the same bad guys and the bad guys are going to get easier and easier as you level up. And so at that point, you just like, you're on total autopilot. That doesn't make sense. To, I, I can't, you know, a lot, it obviously appealed to a lot of kids because I was one of them. But there's certain types of kids where I think they would just like look at that and be like, why would you ever do that? Like, why would you ever sit down and just grind in an RPG? But it's, uh, I don't know, it's just an interesting thing. I mean, I'm way off topic, but it's like, that's kind of what online dating is like, where you kind of have to grind your way. I mean, they call frickin' uh, the gay one is like grinder. Grind. It's a sandwich and it's a gay dating website. But uh, that's the thing though, is, is like, you kind of have to grind through that game too. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, that's, that's a game though where I can't appreciate the mechanics. Like, I feel like that kid, like, I was just talking about the idea of, like, my redneck friend watching me play Final Fantasy and probably thinking, like, why would you ever do this? Why would this be fun to you? And uh, that's how I feel now when I, like, look at what people are doing on online dating. Like, when a friend has complained to me about online dating, I think, like, why would you ever do this? And... Uh, I don't know, we, we, we strayed from humility. We strayed from humility. But it's a part of all this. Because on one hand, like, like dating apps are very... Um, they're uh, humbling. Like, I found them very humbling. I was humbled against my will, which is how you know you're truly humble. You're not a philanthropist being like, oh, it was nothing. You're not getting any any acknowledgement for you, your humility. 
We're talking about acknowledgement. And uh, when you're humbled, there's often no acknowledgement. And that's how you know you're truly humbled. But you can't think that. You can't say, oh, I'm so humble. But I can tell you in retrospect, you know, things like dating websites were humbling. And I, I doubt they were as bad for me as they, they're for, they are for other guys. I doubt I had it the worst. I certainly didn't have it the best. But I think that my experience is probably the average one. I think I was probably in the, the middle category. I, I wouldn't know how to measure that. But I think my experience is probably like average. Probably fairly in the, in the spectrum of, of the normal man's experience on there. Um, but uh, I found it really humbling. And I think I had to humble myself on there. But at the same time, you're marketing yourself. You're putting yourself on the market, as they say. Well, I would call it in the market. They say on the market. I think it's in the market. On the market sounds like real estate. Like we're putting the house on the market. I think dating websites aren't putting yourself on the market. I think it's putting you in the market like a freaking product. You're trying to sell yourself. And that's not very humble at all. So it's this weird, like, it's almost like a speedball. Like, it's like cocaine and heroin mixed together or something. Where on one hand, you're saying, like, look at me. Don't you want to like me? Do you like me? Look at me. Here's my pictures and here's a little uh, snippet of my thoughts. Do you like me? What do you think of me? Well, if you like me, I got this to offer crazy but then on the other side aside from a select few your experience is going to be devastatingly humble like it's, it's going to be humble you know it's going to be completely humbling because you're you think that you're like presenting the best you think you're like marketing the product the way it should be marketed you're like here's what i have to offer and you're being told i don't want that You're like an advertising guy trying to think of the right pitch. And what's funny is like some people do that. Uh, some people make themselves out to be very impressive. They're witty. They got great photos. They want you to think that they're really good at, at their life. They've mastered their life. It's the, they're the best product in the market. Other people kind of try to feign humility too, which isn't very humble. As I said at the beginning, you know, when you acknowledge your own humility, you become less humble. And you can easily become egotistical about your, hum your humility. But uh, um, some people market themselves through humility. Oh, I suck. Dude, I suck. I just suck. Do you like me? Do you like me? Oh, hey, I suck. Do you like me? Do you like me? That's a form of marketing. I suck. Do you like me? I suck. Do you like me? That sounds fucking weird. But some people do that. Some people like... I mean, I, I've known people... You see this with artists. It's like the self-hating artist who's like, Oh, I, I can't even look at my work. Oh, it sucks. I'm, I'm the worst artist to ever live. I fucking hate myself. You know, it's like that. 
that always comes across just as egotistical as someone who's like, my stuff's the best. Those things are there. Those things are two sides of the same coin. I've always found like excessive displays of humility or forced humility. It's always made me feel like that person's being just as egotistical and proud as um, the person who's boasting and bragging. And people even like it's a stupid internet term. I, I mentioned it earlier, but it's like a stupid internet term. But it does. It is interesting. Like the humble brag. Oh, that's a humble brag. Like there is a way to bring things up. There, there is a way to bring like good things you've done or good things, you know, there's a good way to be proud without, um, without being weird about it, without making people uncomfortable or being like embarrassing about it. But the humble brag is one like everyone's eager to point out. It's again, a good example of like how buzzwords get created and then people just want to use them. Like I, I've seen people accuse other people of humble brags or whatever that really weren't, but because they have a new, a shiny new word to use people, are, it's like mansplaining how it's like, it went from women talking about a, um, probably an actual thing men do to them. I mean, men mansplain to each other just as much, I would say, but still, I, I believe that men do talk that way to women and, uh, a word was invented for it. Like anything with man sucks. Man cave. I refuse. Those are cursed words. Any anytime you put man in that fun, has like a prefix in that funny way, that's a curse. It's a cursed word at that point. Man cave, cursed word. I'm only talking about them here because I, you know, I'm, I'm acknowledging that they're cursed. Man cave, um, mansplaining. Those are just cursed buzz. All buzzwords are cursed. All buzzwords, all new catchphrases, they, they have a curse on them. And that curse can be broken, but initially they're cursed, so I try not to utter them. That's just how I feel. But uh, humble brag is one of those. That's cursed. It's still cursed. That one hasn't broken its curse. Um, but anyway, like the mansplaining thing is I was just going to say, like, it's like I believe that was a real thing that – women experienced i would argue that men do it to each other a lot maybe more even i don't know how you measure it but you know i do believe it was something women experienced from men because men do it all the time but then like because it was this new buzzword that people liked you start to see people using it when it's not appropriate like anytime a man says anything he could be accused of mansplaining literally being a man and describing something could be called mansplaining because people want to use it. They want to use the shiny word, you know, the new, the brand new, the brand spanking new phrase or whatever it is. Um, but uh, humble brag is one of those. It's a cursed phrase, cursed word. But I know what it's referring to. Like I know that it's referring to like when somebody brings something up in like a a self-doubting way that actually highlights a virtue of theirs or something good they did. 
And it, it's actually more obnoxious sometimes than if they just bragged. And so I know what they're referring to, but like, kind of like mansplaining, I see people use it now and it's like, it's almost like people can't talk about anything sometimes without being accused of a humble brag. Humble brag. It's like a town in Germany. Humble brag is a town in Germany. It is. But no, it is funny to me though how it's like, uh, that is something people do. And people have always used humility in a prideful way. People have always been proud of their humility and they have always used humil humility to show their pride. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it's just something we do. And we're dealing with those two things all the time. I mean, I know this episode's really freaking long and crazy. It's gone through a million different topics, but I think like running through all of this are the themes of pride and humility. Like dating websites expose those emotions immensely. Dating in general does, but like, the reason I was talking about dating websites so much is it's it's really this uh, exercise in pride and humility where you're sh you're you're showing you're trying you're trying to find a way to express I mean you're a lion puffing your chest out one way or another like you think you're trying to do something that will attract people so in that way, like, you have to be kind of proud to do that. Like, if you think you have something to offer, there's at least a little pride behind that. But then uh, it's also a greatly humbling experience. You realize that, like, the thing you're proud of, you, you know, might not actually be uh, as good as you think it is. Whether that's true or not doesn't matter. It's just uh, maybe you're not marketing it right. Maybe you haven't found your niche. But it's just it's interesting how it is this kind of speedball of pride and humility, and those two things can hide each other. Those two things can kind of mask each other, and they do. Where people will use humility to express their pride. But people also use pride to express their humility or to hide their humility. I think that's, it's more than that. It's, it's that uh, humility is used to hide someone's pride. But pride has a way of showing, but the opposite is also true, where sometimes people use um, pride to hide humility. They actually are very, I mean, that's pretty common. That's, that's like, like Psych 101 stuff that everybody knows. But uh, often somebody who's excessively proud is, is insecure. Because why would they feel the need to be excessively proud in that way? So it's interesting how those two things, they might seem like the opposite of each other, but they're used to hide each other. And doing those opposites can be as much of an expression of its opposite as it is of itself. This land is mine. God
gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children Yeah.